fuck anyone who's not a sea blob. What's a sea blob? (laughs) What does it mean? What do it mean? What is a sea blob? The blob of the sea? (laughs) Fuck. happy episode we're just like coming out of it raw we just watched the episode coming out of it raw is a very weird phrase but like (laughs) wow (laughs) it's like yeah i i almost feel weird yeah i'm very drunk but i'm also like i just got done crying so i'm not like hype on this episode but i am because it was so good i loved it personally but let's just let's just dive right in. So we really get the full scope of Jules, just like her life experiences in this episode. What did you think? I mean, Alex, just first gut reactions, like overall. I mean, I thought it was great. I think that both of these special episodes are the probably undeniably the best episodes of euphoria wow really? i doubt that they are most people's favorites because they don't encapsulate like what's commonly thought of as being very euphoria like with the glam and the makeup and the partying but i think that the these music. Yeah, i think yeah. that rue and jules like special episodes are the best written and like highest quality pieces of like tv that have come out of euphoria thus far I think they're also, um, wouldn't you agree that they're the most Sam Levinson-esque? Like, I feel like this no, is his... I strongly disagree with that. Oh, wow. I was going to say, I feel like this is his inner, like, film director coming out, whereas this is where Euphoria, the other episodes in season one, are more, like, tailored for TV, where these episodes, mm. to me, maybe reflect what we'll see in Malcolm and Marie. Now, we'll see. We'll see. I that's would my, disagree. But that's my speculation. Why Having do you disagree? seen Assassination Nation, I feel like I very much understand Sam Levinson's vibe and see where that fits in in Euphoria. And I feel like it leans into like the pulpy and the extreme. Um, Interesting. And I think that especially this episode, well, both of them were amazing, but like a massive shout out to Hunter for writing this episode. I thought it was fantastic. It really, um, like, I have like goosebumps you just saying that because I feel like. Knocked it out of the park. Knocked it out of the park. I mean, we saw in her interview with Jimmy Fallon that she said she took a writing class with Shonda, Shonda Rhimes. Is that mm-hmm. who it was? Um, and I feel like it, sh- it not only did it show, but I feel like she didn't need that. Like, I feel like this was very much what Euphoria is and why people love it is that Sam Levinson really lets the cast create their characters from their own personal experiences meaning like he chose them for a reason and in this episode for me it manifested that like hunter was chosen for a reason meaning like Mm -hmm. her story Mm -hmm. really 
shined through Jules character now it might obviously that's not her life story but like you could tell that it came from like her fucking heart like it was clearly very raw but like at the end of the day these were both like super powerhouse episodes that leaned very heavy on like just straight up like two hours this was two hours of like pure character like development Mm -hmm. like internal like psychology like that type of stuff um and both episodes for the most part eschew like style and like like aggressive style like they're not these are not like stylistic pieces of work that are out to like be visually like flashy or um shocking or any of that like which is appealing to how you could very easily characterize the rest of euphoria Um, So these are, like, very large departures from, like, the eight episodes of Euphoria of season one uh, stylistically, and I think that it makes Euphoria a better show, and I think that these are the strongest episodes. Although they're unlikely to be anyone's favorite, they're probably, like, hands down the best. I would 100% agree. I think that you just nailed it. Euphoria is a show where even if you do, you're not a super fan like you or I, or you're not a fellow euphorian that follows our podcast. Any basic bitch off the street could watch Euphoria and find a reason to like it. Whereas these two episodes, like you said, it takes like an extra level of fandom. You have to really like love film, love character stories, really just like it's just a whole other level. It's not... I think it's just a different... It appeals to a different audience, and it satisfies a very different need. Um, and it's... I'm not In trying way, to... Though, I'm what... not trying to diss Sam Levinson. I don't know for a fact that this is... This can be chalked up to or not to his influence. Um, but Assassination Nation feels like much of Euphoria in that it's, like, very, like, stylistic, very pulpy, very referencing, like film but that's TV, not a negative very, right like, like I, I love no none of that's a negative i think that stuff is but it's I've, more pop culture it's very appealing to me um it's very like it's a little trashy in the good way it's a little like flash in the pan like yeah, yeah, yeah. saucy and he he knows like his references and he goes really like deep and he makes it very fun and like out there he takes it to the like the extreme levels of like what's yes. accepted in that he realm amps it up <laughs> Which is great, and why I like his extreme like type of shit as well. Um, but like, we only have one other work from him to like base our like totally. guesses about his influences on. But that work, Len, like, was in Clearly the very, very extreme realm of things. So these episodes well, we are remember a very we, big departure from that. Remember last time we joked? We literally said assassination was like he tried Euphoria and it it didn't it failed. It didn't take off. It's very extreme. Yeah, but wouldn't you agree though? It's like he he had yeah, an idea. Yeah, it was almost like a like pilot. Yeah, for he had an idea, and it didn't it didn't take off. Many how similar you'd themes. Wish. But also, he's yep. not the type though, which you and I have learned. He's not the type though that's like looking for fame or for, uh, what is it? Affirmation. Mm-hmm. It was more that like that was just a project though that I'm sure he thought would go widespread. Everyone would be like, oh my god, this is dope, and it didn't. And then Euphoria happened, and it's kind of like a, a, another attempt at that, and it, it fucking flew high. Like, it did so Yeah, I mean, again, well. we're just guessing, but, like, I doubt that, like, he is someone that's, like, out to make, like, the next, like, big budget, like, no. money maker. No. Like, he clearly, like, loves his weird, like, B-movie, like, you know low-grade shit and he has no qualms about putting that into his work which is why i gravitate towards euphoria so much because he's like yeah 
really about that. I think um, it says a lot about him, But these him episodes too. are a huge departure. These episodes huge. are nothing like that. No. So let's just go right in. So the whole episode is essentially Jules talking with her therapist about her experiences through this whole, you know, love triangle of her trying to deal with her high school experiences, moving to a new town, um, going to a new high school, meeting Nate, aka Shy Guy 118, who she didn't know was Nate, her traumas with that, and then also meeting Rue. And... I don't even know where to start. I feel like we just have to kind of break down her therapy session. And Alex took more notes than I did. I was honestly, whenever we go into watching episodes, Alex is absolutely like the scholar. (laughs) He like takes notes. I'm like, I'm getting drunk and I'm enjoying this because Euphoria is just like, it, it really is my fucking religion. So you're like the hot party girl, and I'm like the old like. But I'm not partying. the wizard, like the, like the decrepit wizard, like copying down notes, <laughs> like with a fucking quill, like in the corner. Okay, sure. But I also feel like you know me. I just I I have to. I can't miss a beat. Like I can't miss an of course, ounce of before. Like I'll probably watch this episode nine times, maybe more after this. But anyways, moving forward, Jules and her therapist. Where do you even want to start? I mean. I guess we start with her journey through all of this, which is that we kind of learn a lot of stuff we did not know mm-hmm. about Jules' life. What would you say? What's we your do. first note, Mr. Scholar? What was your very first note? I mean, my notes note? go Let's chronologically, go it, so they're not in any order. But I thought that it was interesting because um, Hunter Schaefer gave two interviews right before this episode came out. Which we talked with, about. With uh, yeah. Jimmy Fallon wildly um under impressive i thought he did a trash job interviewing her but she was great but he always does she's amazing he was particularly bad he was very like low energy well he was also um, well you know why he seemed like he was like high do like, you know why though because he was awkward because he, he doesn't, doesn't have know how audience. to approach she was like i'm looking at mental hospitals they feel so shitty yeah and she people was like little... him that are very like positive very all the yeah. time they're yep. like that was oh. a weird match. Why Why was that arranged? No, but it's not. But like you said, she did amazing. But no, yeah. she was great. But that and was also, a weird match for them two to be but talking. But him. He's just... He wasn't ready to like... But he, Jimmy he's Fallon... not dark enough to like handle stuff no. like that in a funny no. way. And he but... was very low energy. But anyways, um, she did that interview and then she did one with uh, Neta Portier or whatever. Yeah. Um. And I found, like, right off the bat, the start of the episode, it was almost like she was, like, priming us for this episode with those interviews because yes. we get a Lord song right off the bat, which she mentions as being, like, do we have one confirmed? of those I think we do. one of those albums <laughs> that changed her life, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then she also, in one of those interviews, was talking very much about how she's someone that needs to, like, constantly be, like, moving forward and, like, going and evolving. Um, and then right off the bat, we have like what's like very much underscored in the episode. But Jules talking about like going off her hormones um, and possibly like detransitioning or moving into like some kind of like post like yeah male or female state. Um, what did you think about that? I was a little taken aback. I thought I thought okay. My thought was she's going through a lot. Because this therapy session is right after, right? All the rude drama, the train scene in the last season. My thought was, is she a, not, I'm not diminishing her feelings. I'm saying, is that a classic teenage reaction though to like heartbreak? Like, I'm done. I'm going off my hormones. Like, I, I need to figure my shit out. 
Or do you think it actually is a real step in like, I don't say know what no. I want. I think her reasons and the way she justifies it and talks about it are like beyond valid. Um, agreed, agreed. What I was thinking about a lot, like while but she was know, talking about this, do you know where I was, was getting at this... though with that? It's like sometimes high school is a little traumatic. I do, but like I think it's very on brand for Jules um, to be a little like. And I think like there's this like there's a very obviously like a long history of kind of like androgynous like performers like there's mm-hmm. like your David Bowie and you like your Jimmy Page and your Grace Jones people that were like playing very fluidly with like masculinity and femininity yeah um but now we're kind of in like a modern era where there's like an added like sci-fi biological element to it where you can truly like become like something that's neither one nor the other mm-hmm. um and I think that there's a lot of artists that are playing with that in really interesting ways um, I don't want to say playing with it like they're taking it very seriously and it's very important and they should be but there's artists that are um demonstrating like non-binary lo- like life and living and body totally. in like new ways that we haven't really seen before where it's not just about style or how you present yourself but it's like a full physical transformation and i think about like arca whose songs they used on season one i love arca um and i think about like dorian electra um and i think about like uh classic examples like genesis p orridge from like psychic tv and throbbing gristle who was very much like never like wasn't like a guy that went to girl or a girl that went to guy was like very fully like i'm like a very like future state yeah non-binary type of like person um and i think that it makes a lot of sense for jules who's a very smart character who's really like gone fully into like the realm of like playing with femininity or not playing with exploring like being very feminine and found that like And found that very, like, this is not for me. Um, And also knows that, like, very, like, classic hetero, like, male masculinity life is also not for her. To, like, move in this this kind of new direction where you're very, like, it's a very, like, futuristic. Yeah. Like, slant to it. Well, let's go right into it, though. She kind of starts off. I mean, I love that you took notes because your notes probably lead us step by step into the episode, whereas mine are kind of all over the place so pull me in if you think I'm going too far in but I feel like a lot of her thoughts um specifically toward her like falling in love very easily um her defining her position in her life being very uh I'm trying to like male oriented yes like defining her purpose in life and who she was. I liked how she said, I was pulling a million different things from different characters, different mm-hmm. idols I looked up to, and trying to create this person for myself as I'm transitioning, taking hormones, and then realizing, oh, wow, these are just layers of things I mm-hmm. pulled from different influences, but they're not who I am at my core. Right. Which is what everyone does. Everyone does. I mean, that's I'm just going to say, I do that, um, you do that. Like, we all do it. Yep. But I thought that was really deep because you start to see, oh, okay. So, like you said, these two episodes are really special, right? They're really different. They're more in depth. Whereas Euphoria, you see um, 
Okay, Hunter Schaefer, Jules, whatever you want to call it. You see her character. <laughs> you see Jules Whoa. as... Well, no, I'm saying you see Jules as Sailor Moon. You see her as, like, quirky, neon makeup, like, cloud eyeliner. Like, you very much define her character if you're not a super fan like we are. You define her as something that's very, like, stereotypical. It's like an anime mm-hmm. character. It's mm-hmm. You can literally pull yes, many She's She very couched in, like, stereotypes. Yes. And she... And that's for a reason. It's because she's essentially admitting in this episode that that was intentional. Exactly. And she was almost like bimbo, mm-hmm. like defying herself to like be her at like the party, like slashing the, her wrist like, at Nate's feminine party. Feminine ideal yes. for like men. Um, so it makes sense. She was very much a stereotype because she had made herself into one, and now she's grappling with like her rejection of the stereotype she made herself into, and trying to determine like what is next for her identity wise. Which is so deep. Which is but fascinating. I was, but I was thinking of her getting ready. I flash back to like our, I think it was our second or maybe even our first episode of this podcast where I said like, I love when she's getting ready to meet Cal. She's like, well, or she's got, she's getting ready to technically meet Cal, but then she goes to the party afterwards. Mm-hmm. But she's like putting on that like cool, like purple suspender dress. She's like putting on her lipstick. Like she's getting all hot and heavy. And like, I was like, she's so hot. Like. I, like, aspired, it's, like, funny, it's, like, I aspired to be her character in my life, like, as many Euphoria fans do, you look at these characters, and you're, like, oh, my God, like, that's something I've always wanted to be, but it's never been widely accepted, so now I've, like, incorporated that into my, like, vibe when I go out, Mm -hmm. so her breaking that down and being, like, this was me just pulling, like, inspiration from multiple characters, but that's not who I am, for Euphoria super fans, that's pretty, like, eye-opening, like, for me, at least, it was very jarring, because it's, like, oh, like, Look at her in this therapy episode. She's no makeup, just herself. Like, literally just sitting on a couch. Literally not a jewel on her eyelid. (laughs) I mean, that's the first we've ever seen Jules as a character with no makeup, Mm -hmm. very vulnerable, and telling her story just like we saw Rue. Yeah, and I think, like, I don't mean this in, like, any kind of an offensive way, but I think, like, there was some kind of an intentional effort for her to appear, like, slightly more masculine in this episode. With her legs open on the therapy couch? Um, I was thinking that, or no? I was thinking more about just, like, her face and, like, presentation. But, yeah, I guess that as well. Like, yeah. She was very, like, she was, man-spread, um, but, like, I liked it because mm-hmm. I do that all the time and Alex always laughs because, like, I'm the most improper. I don't laugh. I think that's great. No, I just don't give a shit. And I think a lot of girls don't anymore, which is great about, like, progressive culture. But, but exactly. Like, Jules I do was, like, think notably this... a little more masculine in this episode, but it was very subtle. And I think it was very, like, well done. And it, Same. like, goes very much in line with her rejection of like this pure feminine like i'm the male ideal of like a hot bimbo like persona and being like i'm interested in finding something else like that's not which i think we all should like low-key or high-key i think we all should be aspiring to be that because i think we are at a point now where we should just be so far beyond that type of bullshit like i love that we can talk Mm -hmm. about this stuff because i do think like I, I just think of growing up and all the things I was told as a girl. I know, like, for you, you can't relate because I, I mean, you kind of can. You're a guy. You've been told certain things like toughen up, be a man. You're not allowed to cry, blah, blah, blah. There's all mm-hmm. these certain stereotypes. But for girls, it's like cross your legs. Ladies don't ever, like, spread their legs. I was told that my whole fucking <laughs> yes, they life. they do. No shoulder, no uh, elbows on the table, like, none of that. Ugh. So for me, yeah. I 100% Mega agree with you, bar. though. The minute I saw Jules character being a little more just herself, which means like, yeah, not fucking crossing your legs, trying to be this like girly type character, if you will. I think we just saw another side of Jules that I was like kind of waiting to see. And I, 
I loved it. I mean, it was nice. It was almost a relief because mm-hmm. I think we all feel that way. Yep. It was. I thought it was great. Uh, I thought it was all very like well, well done. Very like smartly written. Um, Which is crazy because Hunter wrote it with Sam. Yeah, I mean, just like good for her. Stupid amounts of like shout out for that. Like this is an incredibly impressive like first piece of like writing for yeah. anyone. Um, and it's clearly like I almost feel like it. I mean, I'd love to hear Hunter's real thoughts, but I feel like this was just a journal entry to her life, but just kind mm-hmm. of molded it into, you know, a euphoria landscape. But mm-hmm. it was highly impressive. Yep. Um, I think another really interesting aspect of this episode was that we really get, like, the Jules side of the Rue-Jules relationship, um, yes. which shows that there is, like, a very, like, A, like, there's a super deep love from jewels to rue and b like we finally get to see like the weight of like rue's sobriety on her like we all knew that existed we didn't really know know her mom's story though we didn't know that jewel's mom was an addict but we also didn't really know like how deeply like jewels loved rue it was always kind of very like we're not sure she's got the thing with like fucking shy guy and like we were never the like girl, sure. the girl that we can never remember from her presentation. name from the rave. Yeah, fucking. Do you even remember? I don't. Amanda. <laughs> no, it's not that. Abby. The girl that she meets at the rave yeah, that I does know. her makeup. We can never fucking remember. Anyways, Jimmy continue. John, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> but like, we hate her that much. We're that we never, can never really remember. like sure <laughs> in season one about like how deeply Jules feels about Rue. So we get like it's very clear in this episode. Like Jules loves Rue like very deeply. Very deeply. Um, and then we also see the root, like the weight of like Rue's sobriety on her, um, highlighted by her mom being. Which I think we all assumed, but addict. it was it was. I interesting. didn't think, ever really think about it. Oh, I did, but I'm sure I, many people did. I'm not saying. I that, did, but. but I don't. I knew nothing about her mom. Remember? Okay, I I would love to listen to our old episodes because I feel like we talked about not knowing what the fuck her mom's deal was. We knew she was a royal piece of shit for mm-hmm. putting her in that insane mm-hmm. asylum. Um, but other than that, remember, I thought she had cancer and died. Like, I was so far off. <laughs> so, like, we, we really didn't know. So now we know the story. She's very much alive. And unfortunately, we get, like, the real, like, arrow to the heart that Jules' dad is not, like, we all we he built him up to be. Like, we all, everybody loves Jules' dad. He's, like, very much, like, Well, the, no, not everybody. I would say you and I, right before. Everybody we... does. He's, like... But right before we character. even right before we even watched this episode, Alex and I literally looked at each other and we were like, Jules' dad is just like the mm-hmm. sweetest, like most admirable yep. parent figure in pop culture yep. TV. And oh, yeah. you know what? I'm gonna have to say I'm agreeing with Alex <sighs> on this one. Oof, I didn't I don't feel that way anymore after this episode. No. This one really sticks the knife in your ribs and then twists it all around every which way because in this episode he's playing all kinds of like sympathy for jules mom who put her in a fucking insane asylum he's ambushing her with her appearance like playing all this like just really not just not having her back you know straight up well also you forget so not only that her dad pitches his wife as an addict who's struggling but now is better Mm -hmm. when really it doesn't matter. Addict or no right. addict, 
she put Jules in an insane asylum right, right, right. for wanting to become... For wanting to transition. To wanting to transition. So, yeah. fuck you. You get no... Re- Which has nothing. no bearing on no your empathy. addiction or non-addiction. Yeah, that's what I'm you saying. You can be fucked out of that's your mind or sober as fuck. And that, yes. that situation doesn't look different to you one way or the other. But that's why you and I took such a strong point in like being mad at her dad. Because this isn't yep. like a mom who was an addict who you can sympathize with and go, oh my God, and empathize right. and go, she's trying she's to change, she's sober. She's just not some absentee. Yeah, it's like, no, 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 uh, no. Uh. So Alex and I definitely were very upset at Jules' dad over this because Jules' dad's always been so supportive. And he, he is. Like, He's I don't fallen wanna, from grace. I won't write him off, but I will say like this made me really not like him. He's just another Euphoria character now. Well, He's no Alex, longer our secret golden boy. Well, Knox knows this, but for me, this part in particular was extremely personal because I can relate to Jules in this. My mom is a fucking psycho. My dad, before he died, very much did the same fucking shit that Jules' dad did. He'd call me into my room, do the whole, like, you need to talk to your mom. Like, she's really trying. She feels bad. I know she slapped you and called you a whore, but, like, she feels bad about it. Like... And then she'd be in the cu- on the couch waiting for me, and it's like, don't put me through this. And my dad was always a homie and, like, was on my side, meaning I know deep down he knew that was fucked up, but he'd always put me in the middle of, like, but your mom's, like, feels bad. Like, go right. talk to her. It's And to me, all I'll say about that, all I'll say about my father, who I love and, you know, obviously, no shit, won't go too deep into that, but... In the way that I still love Jules' dad is that I think every human is flawed. And I think people like that are in this position where they... I think he really does love Jules and he feels every emotion she's feeling. But I feel like in that position, they fall weak, which every human does, right? We all have our weak spots. I'm not condoning it. I'm not okaying Mm -hmm. it. But I do think we all have our weak spots. Jules' dad clearly in that moment showed his very weak spot, which is he was not willing to defend his daughter. He was more willing to reprimand and, or not reprimand, uh, remedy his relationship with his wife than support his daughter, which to me is fucked up. And I felt that way with my dad. Still do, even though he's passed. I love him, but that type of stuff scars teenagers for life. And it scarred me, so... I yep. was sobbing by the end of the episode because I I understand that feeling and that weight. It's heavy. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners get it. That one hurts. I think a lot of our listeners probably, I mean, you watch Euphoria for many reasons, but I think the people that are the super fans probably watch it for emotional connection. You know, you watch shows because you relate to them. And I, I, I think a lot of people could relate to this story, which... Yeah. Good job, Hunter, for telling it because I think a lot of people need to hear this. Yeah, absolutely. It's that tough. one hurts big time. But what else? So the dad, yeah, fuck the dad. He calls her out. I mean, that was shitty. It was really bad. It's very, very bad. Like he is in custody of her because of this, because her mom is fucking crazy, and subsequently, like his job should be to protect Jules from her 100%. mother. At all costs, and and then she just fucking left. Her to like she went down on her like that. Is the worst part was when Hunter said, bad. "Do you want me to just fake it?" Right. Or sorry, Jules' character was like, "Do you want me to just fake it and go down to mom and say, sure, I forgive you?" Right. And the dad was like, "Yeah, that's fucked up right. because you know Horrible. what? Because Jules went downstairs to do that, and I've been in that position. 
in that position. Sorry, I just hiccup because I'm drinking Heineken. <laughs> but like I've been in that position where my dad quite literally has said, you need to go to apologize to your mom. And I've looked in my dad's eyes and said, why? I fucking hate her. And he's like, just do it. And it's selfish. And that's why it I don't is. like Jules' dad anymore. Because it's, it's selfish. It's an unfair position to put your child in. Well, they do it because it's they want to be relieved of the stress. Yep. It's selfish and it's wrong. So I've been there. So that part really hit home. But yeah, other than that, we go more into, on a funny, more lighter note, I feel like Jules' room was a lot brighter, which we always talk about in all the other it episodes. Was. Her room is such this a dark... This is one of the like most brightly lit episodes of Euphoria ever, which is funny. I know. And, but For her sure. room was so... It had like sunlight coming through all the windows. You could mm-hmm. see the trees. She has like a secret fire escape we haven't really seen before. Uh, Ruth that's on the roof. Right. And, or like, the roof, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it is the roof though, right outside her room window. Yep. Which is... We've never seen. Like, right. Okay. We get all these like little shots of like Rue and Jules like intimacy that we haven't really seen before. Yeah. Um, but one I wanted to call out that I really liked was uh, Rue giving Jules her like hormone shot. I know. Um, I liked that too. That was like intensely intimate. Like that's like way more intimate than like banging. Like that was very like that's a sensitive very... and raw and like intimate and i thought that they i thought that was very well done um, yeah, and like agreed. super cute and you get like a whole like way deeper like level to their relationship just from that one little scene same i agree a hundred percent because normally in euphoria season one whenever jules is giving herself the hormone shot she's all alone right that's that was very intimate it made it seem way. like it was a secretive thing, where in this mm. you see that, oh, like, that's Rue's how much... like the only one that she, Yeah, like, which is really sweet. about that. Yeah. Rules stands forever. I will cheers yes. to rules right now while I'm drinking this Heineken, because that was absolutely, like, a tender moment. But it was also fun that they didn't make it, like, once again, I just love it, because it's so natural. It wasn't, like, a, ooh, ultra serious. Mm-hmm. It was like they were laughing, and she was like, come on, like, just do it. Like, it, it was, was very cute. It was cute. I think the only other thing that I have in my notes about this episode was how uh, well done the horror aspects of it were. Um, so we've kind of like covered the good stuff, you know, with Rue, the wholesome um, or heartbreaking or whatever. The um, cute romance between. But the them. other thing this episode does super well is showcase the absolute fucking horror and trauma that Jules had to deal with from the Nate, shy guy, Tyler situation. Yeah. Um, which is, I was so worried this whole time, even in in the midst of this episode that they were really going to like hit us with a like Nate redemption. And thank God we don't get that. This is like <laughs> presented in all its horror, all its trauma. There's no redemption for Nate. Um, I, as a massive like horror fan, I appreciated right off the bat that like the first time they talk about that. We have these very like David Lynchy shots of like almost like pitch black rooms with these like creepy flashes of light as Jules is taking pictures of herself. Oh, like the sex. She's like yeah. she's taking like she's sexting with them. Yeah, she's taking like sexy selfies. Um, and she's like the room is dark and the these flashes of light are yeah. so like creepy and illuminating and the score cool. during this part is fantastic. Like. If this was Labyrinth, which it probably was, like, I take back everything I've ever said. This was perfectly scored, so beyond creepy and weird. 
We should um, look into that because I actually don't know if Labyrinth scored this up. He he did. He probably, oh, he did. You yeah, I just don't know if that was an existing song that they used or if that no, was, it was a probably Labyrinth the score. song. Um, but then like later on, we get some more like outright horror when she's like having her like dreams of like being in New York and Rue's overdosing. And Ew, it's so creepy when she like, looks in the mirror and she's looking, like, "Where are these pictures of us, Tyler?" She's like, "Yeah, why aren't there any pictures of us?" And she's looking back into the room and the man's Ooh. face is obscured and it's not Nate the whole time and like the like all that scene whole being so black and dark and like the pacing under the it felt like door. under the skin, didn't it? When she walks into just pure mm-hmm. darkness that's how i yeah. felt like when she just walks in like half naked mm-hmm. into just utter darkness and you're like fuck no yep. don't go that was all like very well done creepy and like leaned super heavy into horror which i like massively appreciated but uh especially those first scenes where she's taking the selfies that was like almost like a mu- that was a much more like subtle yes horror nod the other scenes are great and well done but they're a little more rote but those early ones with the selfies are very creepy and unsettling and the music during those scenes is so off and like creepy and weird it makes you feel uncomfortable that was in like, a good way that was very like subtle like david lynchy well done and then later we get like real like outright horror where it's like the face is like mm-hmm. not the face you never really and, see like, his face either that was all but really you know creepy. he's a douchebag because he's wearing a necklace with a ring on it and when they're making right. out it goes into her mouth and yeah, i'm like i noticed that and i get it like and they intentionally got someone that looked super like nate yes but i'm like i'm laughing because i'm like sex is sex right but like that is so douchey like taking a guy's ring any guy that wears a ring around his neck is a fucking it was like some emblem or something but you can really tell what it was but that was the only other thing i had to call out was that like i loved the the horror the outright like horror elements and that they were very well done agreed and that it like it really showcases like the horror she went through because like she's talking about this whole relationship up front as if like I've had like the most amazing relationships with people that I've never met and like couching it mm-hmm. in these really like positive terms and then she really gets to it and it's clear that it was like so horrifying and traumatic for her and it really like totally. underscores how fucking scary it is that well, you could like talk to someone online and think you fully know them and then like oof like you're not even fucking close not only that it's i think our euphorians will relate with me because you know not like diminishing your fandom but i'm a super fan right so when i was watching euphoria for the (laughs) first second third fourth fifth i think i count as a super fan at this point yeah at this point you do okay incidentally i will give out you're a super fan fan. but like when i was watching it for the first time I, i remember telling you it was like a twist for me i I knew Shy Guy was Nate, but I actually thought when I first watched season one, I thought Jules, I thought Nate really did like Jules. Mm -hmm. So I thought the outcome was going to be they were going to meet up. I didn't think they were going to live happily ever after by no means, but I thought he was going to like kind of confess to her and be like, I like you, but like, fuck you, you better not say a word to anybody. I did not know that Mm -hmm. he was going to hold all their conversations against her and be like, I could take you to jail for this. Like, what the fuck? So the carnival episode for me, the end of that was like, holy, I remember like (laughs) going to the fridge, getting another beer, being like, I don't even know if I can watch the next episode. I'm so traumatized. Mm -hmm. So this episode, I was very, very thankful that they dove deeper into that because 
Mm-hmm. You don't get anything from that. She goes to Rue's house, climbs through her window to sleep over, which they show little glimpses of. Right. But you don't... It's kind of like a classic high school story where she just is like, I was catfish. He didn't look like what he looked like in this right. picture. And that's it. Whereas that's not it. She really, like, spent hours, minutes, days, Right, weeks, she was up till 4 a.m., like... For months. Constantly sexing, having the best, showing like, her tits, thing of everything her life, to this like, guy. Right. And Can I think you imagine? The... No, I mean, like, really, like, put yourself in that position. Like, I've never been there, but I'm sure many of our listeners have, maybe, maybe not. But, like, that's fucking traumatizing. Yeah. Oh, big time. And I think the real, like, subtlety and actual horror is that their relationship was so deep and extensive that he clearly does feel some degree of that yeah he's like asking her where she wants to go to school what does she want to study like fuck you so he wasn't saying oh send me a picture of your pussy right 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 but the real horror of that is that like he feels some of it but he's still a fucked up enough person to disregard like what he actually really felt because it's like it's obvious that, like, he was able to carry this on because he was into it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. At least to, to like, a pretty we big know. degree. We like, know. He's definitely gay, and he was definitely pretty into this, <laughs> like, situation. definitely gay. Nate is gay, quote he Alex. He was pretty fucking into this to, like, keep it going. So he's a scarier villain, not for the fact that, like, he was faking it. He wasn't faking it. It was real, but he's so much scarier because it was real. And then he was able to put all of that realness to the side and look her in the face and like be like, fuck you, I'm sending you to prison. And he wasn't like quavering in that moment. No. Like, there's no like no. hesitation. There's it's no like, like oh, maybe he doesn't want to do this because he feels so connected to this person he's been talking to online. Like he really felt all that shit. But then he's like, but no, fuck it. You're going to prison. Like he's no. a real like cold but that makes him in so much that scarier. scene if we could play it so in scary. that scene jacob alordi i'll give him credit that's why he's so good at his job he acts that scene very well because like you said there's not one ounce of quavering he's like fuck you if you fucking say anything about this i'm gonna fuck your life up and you believe right. it because in jewel's shoes she goes to the cops the next day and is like totally vulnerable right and fucks everything up, and it's like, but can you blame her? I mean, he's extremely threatening, and he is not quavering. He's like... Right, so this is all very scary. This is well-done horror. Trauma. And it really addresses, like, a something that hasn't been hit on the head by, like, modern horror yet, which is, like, this, like, you can be so, like, deep into this other person and believe all this shit, but, like, she, like, keeps... She, they keep bringing up that she's never seen his face, and it's, yeah. like, giving you, like, these red flags, but she keeps overlooking the red flags and going, like, deeper and yep. deeper into yep. this. And she's talking about how she's had these great relationships with people she's never met. And it's, like, but all that is bullshit. Yep. Like, it's, you can talk all day long about how amazing a relationship with someone you've never met in person can be. But nope. there's still, like, this very it's primal, not. like, human, <laughs> Red flag, like, it's not. There's still, like, a really, like, primal, like, physical aspect to, like friendships or relationships or whatever it is right it could be anything like there's still something like physical and primal about a real true like honest friendship or relationship or romance or whatever yeah so for it all to be conducted online like there's like no guarantee that that's gonna hold over in person people are fucking crazy and sociopaths and you really could get like played and it's horrible and terrifying it's really scary one thing i want to play on which is kind of off topic from what from the horror of it all but this is kind of horrific 
I really loved, me personally, my favorite part of the episode was when Jules dissects how women treat each other, which is, she said, said, you meet someone, a girl, or a a woman, if you will, whatever, fuck Mm -hmm. it, a girl, and they judge you from head to toe. And I know this, Alex can literally sit here and agree with me 100% without wavering have i not told you the same thing mm-hmm. absolutely i've told alex time and time again and everything i do i work at seek geek right i've told alex i'm not afraid to say this anywhere i've worked not just there but anywhere i work i've always felt judged as a female not for men surprisingly mm-hmm. everyone always thinks it's men versus women i've mm-hmm. actually been more judged by women i think women are sadly pitched against each other because of the turmoil we've had to go through trying to overcome masculinity trying to overcome the patriarchy you have Mm. to be a competitive person so in that you kind of lose your connection with other women so with that being said i actually like a hundred percent was like cheersing my champagne glass to the tv screen when she was talking about girls looking you up and down Judging you for like your chip nail polish or you not being the skinny type that's on Instagram. It's like everyone talks about that daily. And I'll be honest, I think that kind of conversation gets kind of fucking old when everyone's like, everyone thinks everyone should be like Kendall Jenner on Instagram. It's like, uh, I mean, I guess me as a strong female, I don't really like look to Kendall Jenner or Kylie Jenner or any of these people. I don't compare myself to them. Right. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong if you do. Like, that that sucks. It kind of is, though. No, but I'm saying that sucks lame. if you're in that place. I have a little sister who's been in that place where you feel really shitty about yourself and you just want to be like everybody around you that's famous. Like Emma Chamberlain, all these idiots <laughs> but, like, online. Look at the absurdity of the statement you just said. Everybody around you that's famous. No one around the average person is famous. Oh, you think sorry. that you're around famous people because I you am, look at social media lot, all day yeah, and you're, yeah, 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 yeah. you're around them on your phone, but you're never actually around but famous people. But with my people. job, sometimes I am. So sorry. I say I'm not that. talking about you. Oh, I'm talking sorry. about the like, people yeah, general. you're like a weird like corner case. I'm talking about like the absurdity of the statement that like you're constantly comparing yourself to people around you. But they're how often are you, you act? You're they're not you're not around celebrities ever. <laughs> no. And like even the people you think you're comparing yourself to that aren't celebrities, how often are you around them? You're Fucking not. never. You're not, but sadly, Gen Z and millennial never. phases, our our reality is that you not you and I, meaning we're outliers, but many people of our community, our euphorians, our listeners, people outside of our community, they do feel like they have to compare themselves to people on the internet and it's shitty i know you and i are not those type of people because we're these weird fucking idiots that just drink beer in our apartment we don't care we just kind of like get drunk and we don't give a shit but that's just not the case for a lot of people so all i'm saying is there are people that feel that way i've felt that way not as strongly as the way she described it because i'm of a different generation right like we do have an age gap mm-hmm. in our stories but I felt that very strongly because I will say this, like I, as much of a feminist as I am, I do feel like women pit pit each other, pit against each other often. And it's because we've been treated like shit for so long and we're all trying to compete to get to the top and be the best we can be. And that's hard. And when women get in our way, that's very threatening. 
And I myself, what have, I've always said, I call myself like a guy girl. I've always gotten along with guys better than I have with girls. I'm not like proud of that, but it's just it's just the fucking truth. I'm proud of it. I have two brothers. I get along with them quite well. Three brothers. <laughs> oh my god, I have three brothers. I can't even. All right, be Mikey. I'm drunk. Yeah. You're out. I have three brothers. Or maybe Travis is out. <laughs> I have three brothers, two sisters. So I've always been a guy girl. I and I also am like Jules. I'm. I can relate to her character now from watching this episode. I'm a lot like her in that I really looked up to my dad. I did not Uh have a mom that was present in my life. So I've always aspired to be more like a dude. Uh I feel like I always thought dudes were cooler. Like guys were more like logical. They weren't so emotional. They were cutthroat. They were aggressive. That was just like the viewpoint I got. So I felt like in this episode, I really related to Jules' conversation with her therapist about how fucked up girls can be. How they look you up, Uh you know. From your toes to your head, like, giving you a judgment. I got that my whole fucking life. Yeah, it's pretty silly. Well, you laugh because you're a dude and you don't have to experience that. But it is interesting as a girl. Like, you you probably heard that and didn't feel anything. Whereas for me, I was like, oh my god. I've never felt more like... <laughs> I felt like she was speaking on my behalf. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm like Jules, to be fair, to give her credit. She doesn't care. She even said, like, I don't really, like, care what they think, but it's there and it exists and it sucks and that's how I feel. I don't yeah. necessarily care what girls think about me, but it's there and it sucks because you want to, like, like she said, you want to conquer femininity and, like, mm-hmm. embrace that. But how can you do that if, like, everyone around you is judging you and being a piece of shit? It's just, like, it's a weird cycle. Right. Yeah, it's a lot about like the. Does that make sense? Of, like, I feel like that was a lot because I'm drunk identity. and I'm just spewing out bullshit. No, but, like that absolutely makes sense. It's, it's like you want to support your girls, but you're also like, but girls fucking suck. Right, and like guys have like a drive to like be like look the best or like these like identity driven drives, but there's never like a communal like camaraderie that's expected or like really you don't think that or do you No, i've never like do you think some guys would disagree with you or do you think that's just your viewpoint i'm just curious maybe it's just my viewpoint i'm not gonna like speak to it on large but like what you're saying when you're like i as a girl feel like this pressure from other girls to like always like be on point and look my best and all this stuff like i as a guy if i'm going somewhere that i know is like of a certain repute like somewhere where i would like to look cool somewhere that's like known to be like a hot spot whatever like i have a certain pressure that i put on myself to like be top notch in my own eyes but i don't feel you that don't there's think about what other guys i don't think. feel that there's any kind of like male like judgment about me or female judgment about me i don't feel that like i just feel that people in general are going to like look me up and down and judge me but I don't feel like I care about their judgments. I just feel like I know I am going to be judged. So yeah. I want to present myself in accordance with my own, like, your own, my own, like, style guidelines. Yeah. Like, I have my own style guidelines. And I could walk into a place and know that every male and every female in the place is going to look at me and think I'm trash. But as long as I'm within what I deem to be, like, primo like on point style i will feel good about myself i don't feel like a general like camaraderie or judgment with like other males yeah which i feel like is like a big difference with like women which fucking sucks that's it it does but like you said alex can stand behind me 100 though i am like you what you just described is me though 
I don't go places thinking girl, thinking, oh, I'm going to dress a certain way because I'm afraid what girls are going to think. That's not it. It's more just that you're, you're constantly competing because girls already have the lower hand and you want to mm-hmm. make it to the top. So you try. Yeah, right. And That's sadly, instead you, of like supporting that. each other, you unfortunately most times are pitted against each right. other. Right. You all claw and bite your way to the top. Yes. Like however you can. Yep. Where guys have it easier. Um, I don't know about you. I The only reason I started crying during the episode was because... When they show the scene of Rue coming in on Christmas and essentially being like, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That was about the train scene, right? Like the tra- mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Because she said, like, I'm sorry. I think that was, I think that took place after Rue had been at the diner yeah. with Ollie. Yeah. She came over. <laughs> yeah. I think. I think so, too. Or possibly. Yeah, she said Merry Christmas and she did. Right, dipped. right. Um, I'll have to watch I think it was probably sure. Christmas. Yeah. Because Rue was with Ali on Christmas Eve, right? I mean, we're literally recording this. We just turned off the episode. We haven't watched it again. So we don't know for sure. Right. But I would say yes. It was after the diner. She feels guilty. She goes right. thereafter. That would be my guess. Um, I started crying, which that's the end of the episode. But that's when I actually started crying. Because you could tell Jules just felt horrible, A. Eh? But also, like, she didn't really get a chance to explain herself because Rue got nervous and left. She, like, literally dipped the fuck out. Yep. And then the the episode literally ends with Jules just sobbing in her bed. And mm-hmm. and I think, for me, personally, that hit home very strongly. That's the one big plot development. One big plot. We pl- get two episodes, and the only real, like, significant plot development. Into season two, we get. Is we that? We get at the very end, right there. Yeah. But it's good. I like that because... You and I had such flippant ideas of what Jules did during that time. And I like that now we know she just was at home and was like, I fucked up. I was drunk. To be fair, Well, she said I was drunk. I was... Well, okay, wait. Actually, I will backtrack right now. Not only was she drunk, we learned a big, big chunk of her life that we did not know in season one, which is her mom dies on Halloween. Huge. Yeah. I mean, that's... That's so much of Jules' behavior lot. in season one is explained by the fact that, like, on Halloween, her mom died. But I'll give us credit. Everything from that episode on makes a little more sense. A hundred percent. But also, the But you know what's funny is, you know, I, I like, mean, I bet to, I don't know, I'd have to listen to our Halloween episode again. We were very drunk. But I, I will say this. You and I are always very, like, we're intuitive, so... We never have painted Jules as a villain at all. If anything, no, of course if not. anything, I'm more on Jules' side than Rue's, which is interesting. I love Rue to death, but like I get where Jules is at. I mm. get like her motives and what she does. Right. But I will say on Halloween, a lot of people were very like people meaning fans, people that listen to our podcast. They're very like Jules was like an idiot. She got too drunk. This and that. Right. I was kind of like, that was me when I met you in college. Right. When you're going through trauma and you your life is just fucked, that's just how you react, especially when you're 20 years right. old, 19 in their case. Well, how I felt and how many right? other people felt, um, I mean, it's clearly noticeable in season one that like there's a big shift in like who Jules is and how her character behaves prior to and following that episode uh and at the time like we don't know anything but now that all makes a lot of sense a huge shout out to like sam levinson obviously that can be attributed to him like yeah 
it's very obvious looking back that like there's a massive shift in Jules' behavior at that point in season one. She's trying to kill at the party. Like I mean, you we are. said this in our episode. <laughs> like at which point, like Jules, like Jules was my favorite character in Euphoria for the first four or five episodes, and then she was one of my least favorite characters for the last like two or three. Like, and now we understand why there's a reason for it Which it's a very obvious reason i didn't for feel it. that way at all you did but i did not yeah i always have like there's a massive shift in her behavior and she gets yeah. way shadier and weirder and like things are just not like right and jules is not who you thought jules well, was whatever like but like things are off but also from silly that episode us. on but also now we know silly us right as an audience we think it's because jules is this high school girl that doesn't know what she wants she's very mm, flippant she's right making exactly. these dumb decisions when really it's we like, think she goes to la and gets yeah. exposed to all this shit and she's like oh when i don't really know. her mom just fucking died really it's like yeah if her mom died like she which is, is extra extra traumatized like which is not only shitty but once again i I personally can relate to this on many levels. It's not that exciting to talk about, but I can. And so can, like, I just mentioned my little sister earlier. It's very similar. It's like when you go through shit, you could think they're just living their best life because they look good mm-hmm. on the outside. Like, mm-hmm. Jules looks fucking fantastic right. on Halloween. She doesn't she's tell Rue about any she's of this. She's dancing. Like... She's confident. Right. And if anything, they make... Uh, the episode paints Rue to be like the weakling. It's like Rue's like at the party sober, kind of right. bitter that like she's not included. So as a as a you know, a viewer, you're kind of like, oh, come on, like let Jules live her life. But then you learn about Jules' experience, you're like, oh, now we know why Jules is off the deep end. That's on Halloween why. and for the rest of the season. Yes. So yeah, that all makes a shit ton more sense. And that's really deep. It is. I mean, it when lends, she's like, sobbing a, at the end, it's kind of sad. I mean, if you want to talk fucking psychology, like, you have now added, like, a massive layer of psychological complexion to the fact that, like, Jules is super attracted to Rue, who is, like, a clone of her mom. Like, she has this, like, maternal, like, non-judgmental attitude and is also a fucking, like, devastating drug addict. Like, but when the therapist pointed brutal, it out, remember, like, she was, like... I never thought of it that way, which I think right. is going to be interesting going into season two. I feel like that was kind of a, like a door opening into season two of like mm-hmm. she's now in this place where like she's going to therapy and now she knows that that's a, a likely like that. Right. That's her reality, which is she's dating or loving someone that's similar to her mother. She just has... Like, everyone always talks daddy issues. Jules just has mommy issues. So, of course, she's dating someone that's, like, reflective of her mom. Like, we see mommy so issues crazy. less in, like, media. But I'm dating you, and I have mommy issues. Uh, I wouldn't characterize your mommy issues as, like, yeah. romantic sexual. Whereas Whoa. I would with... Oh, oh, there's Meatball! Big baby Meatball. Euphorians. Meatball's so excited about this new episode. Oh my gosh, Meatball. Okay, he's calm now. He's lying down. <laughs> Meatball gets a little excited. He's especially excited because he really relates to Jules' journey. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, okay, ignore <laughs> our loud, fat, tabby cat. Um, Another major point I wanted to bring out was the fact that although I was like sobbing during the episode, I kept laughing because... I did feel like the music, not all the time, but for part of it was very Lord of the Rings-esque. It had a lot of, like, flutes and, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but, you know, what's funny, 
Uh, I shifted my feelings on it. Like, at first, I was like, this sounds like a little like Lord of the Rings. And that's a good thing. I I will say this. It's not a bad thing. I I fucking love that shit. But then it kind of transformed, and I thought, oh, my God. Hunter co-produced and wrote this, so I feel like it's very anime-sounding. Like, it kind of sounded like a Studio Ghibli track. Did you bit. agree or no? Yeah. Well, also, like like I said earlier in the episode, I think her interviews preempted a lot of this episode, and she was talking about how one of the big, like, influential albums for her was Enya, which is very, like, yeah. 90s, like, new age. Watermark, like, Enya. You know, weirdo, like, 90s bullshit fantasy Lord of the Rings adjacent type shit. Yeah. You know? We were both, like, so, exposed like, to at a very yeah, young age. Yeah, the, uh, the Studio Ghibli, like, fantasy Enya new age, like... That all those linkages like feel right, and yes, totally. I agree. Like the music this episode clearly felt like that, and was it's never felt like that before. So I think that that's no, probably not like, even close. I mean, we're all reaching for straws here, but like yes. her speaking about Enya's album being a major influencer in her life before the album she wrote releasing with some very like new age esque music. Like I'm sure well, she had a say can... in like. How this played out. Absolutely. And I think we can both agree, though, that it was absolutely musically very different than Rue's episode. Right. 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 Which makes sense. I mean, Rue's was like holiday theme. Kind of, kind of not. No. Rue's was way euphoria. It was very. I mean, even Labyrinth's version of Ave Maria, so euphoria. It's. It was all kind of like. Well, please. No, go Sorry, ahead. Go I was on. just going to disagree with you already because I think it felt very a continuation of what I would expect a Euphoria episode to be musically. I would say Jules' episode, I could tell it was Hunter Schaefer's influence. And, it, and I mean that in a positive. It was mm-hmm. different, but it did not feel Euphoria-based at all. Even Billy, even Billy and Rosalia's song that just debuted, it was in Spanish. I mean, that's not... I guess, yeah. actually, you know what? I'll take that back because Rosalia did a lot of music for the first season. So that's not... But whatever. The 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 instrumental parts that you said might be Labyrinth, we'll have to look deeper into it and see what it is. Um, but I felt like the music was a lot different this episode than Ruse. I thought Ruse was very, like, euphoria heavy. It had the Christmas vibes, but it, you could just hear Labyrinth's touch on it. This one felt very like Hunter Schaefer. It did not feel at all like Euphoria. Interesting. To me, this and I mean felt that like in a posi- that... I will emphasize. Mm-hmm. I mean it in a positive. Yeah. I thought it was cool. To me, this felt like New Age Labyrinth. Like it felt like Hunter Schaefer told Labyrinth do Ave Maria, but like New Age. Cool. So I could have like it was all very good, but I could have like enjoyed a little more. Uh, a little more avant-garde, a little more outside of, like, the labyrinth, like, box, but whatever. Another big point I want to bring up is, so the ocean scenes. Um, mm. I don't know if our Euphorians know this about us, but Alex and I met in Malibu. That's where we mm-hmm. met. We both went to college at Pepperdine, which is mm-hmm. right on the shore of the, like, literally on Pacific Coast Highway. And... Where they filmed Hunter laying in the ocean as Joel's character is literally right where Alex lived when I met him. I mean, Alex, explain your home where you live. I feel like this is interesting for our listeners. It's very weird. Like, I lived in a a neighborhood that was next to the beach. Point Um, Dume. Point Dume. Which is, like, a very weird thing because it was this neighborhood that was, like, 
full of mostly like it was like half like mobile homes and half like real homes but they were like small homes this wasn't a neighborhood of like mansions and big yards and private gates (laughs) no (laughs) this was a neighborhood of like trailer homes but like fancy trailer homes because you're realistically a like minute walk to the beach like this neighborhood is on the beach side of the highway well you also lived on a you don't have to you can just walk to the beach and there's like a pool and your point to main neighborhood Alex didn't know this at the time because he didn't give a shit, but I did when I met him. He lived amongst many Disney stars. The mm-hmm. twins from Zack and Cody, the girl <laughs> twins, lived there. They hot tubbed with us one night. Not that cool or important, but like people in the community were Hollywood famous living in his neighborhood, but Alex was just a drunk idiot Pepperdine student living in like a trailer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like I split, like I had like a third of like a trailer home that I split with like an 80 year old woman. <laughs> it was like my landlord. <laughs> but like I had my own bathroom and like, no, I know. It was, and stuff, it was but... luxury for a college student. Absolutely. It was great. I would live there now. I also, fantastic. one night, got so drunk. The first night Alex and I met, I projectile vomited all over the front yard of his Point Dume trailer. Mm-hmm. And it was on, it all landed on, what is that plant that's like a... I think it was an, uh, I think it was What do you call it? The cactus plant. that's like a what? I think it was an aloe plant. Yes, yes, that is what it yeah. is. I barfed all over. I got really drunk. Alex got me really drunk <laughs> On what was it? Uh, Sailor Jerry's. On Sailor Jerry's. Dark rum. I was not a drinker. You heard our high school episode. I wasn't mm-hmm. like a big heavy drinker. So when we first hooked up, we drank Sailor Jerry's with no chaser. Or no, it was Cactus Cooler. Cactus Cooler. But I didn't take the Cactus Cooler. You did. Yep. I was like trying to be cool yep. and hot. And I was like, I'm not taking it. Projectile vomited all over the fucking trailer at Point du May. But anyways, not relevant, but a good little story for our euphorians. Um, all the scenes where Jules is laying in the ocean and talking about femininity and how o- the ocean reminds her of that. Like, very strong, bold, deep. Right. That was my beach. That like, was literally that was where, where Alex I and I hung out and got wasted all the My neighborhood led time. down to that beach. Like, if you walk through the neighborhood, you ended up on that beach like where I was Alex there all lived, the time you literally walked down a little sand path to the ocean where they filmed the scene of jules laying on the right. ground and swimming and yep i mean it was and beautiful. Paige and i are both like weirdly big ocean people like so a lot of that i resonated. like that resonated like the yes. ocean is probably the most spiritual thing i've come across and like i'm not like oh it's god or anything but like the ocean's very spiritual and like influential and absolutely magnificent and fluid and like well, and endlessly forget. captivating was she describing... like, i would live by the ocean forever i'm a little drunk was she describing femininity as the ocean she was saying or was it masculine she was saying um that the ocean was both feminine and masculine it was strong and powerful yeah bold um, deep i remember her saying like like, it was very like exhilarating right it was broad and bold and deep but also like very a little confusing feminine and like i don't know yeah softer i i've told alex especially in quarantine and with the pandemic going on the most happiness i felt is being near water so i can relate to like her Mm -hmm. connection with that but anyways i felt like that was a fun fact which is that alex and i literally met and first like i don't even know what you'd say because we didn't hook up 
We held hands. It was a the first a deep time we like connected connection. more than just friends was yes. literally on Point to May Beach, which is where Jules is lying in the sand and like waving her arms around Falcon and getting for all smothered by waves. That was Alex and I, but we were wasted. Yeah, <laughs> with Sailor Jerry's and Cactus Cooler. Cactus Cooler. Oh, I was yeah. like Cactus Jack, so I'm thinking of Travis Scott. Oh my god, oh, my no. god. Travis Scott was like a baby back then. <laughs> Well, I love that for us. Let's just cheers to the fact that Jules is lying in the ocean where we first had our date, and now we're doing a podcast on Euphoria. You know I what? Mean, full fucking circle. That's so euphoric. That is so fucking euphoric. So normally we do cast updates at the beginning, but we were so fucking emotional after that episode. Meaning, <coughs> I was. I was sobbing. Alex is fine. He's just chugging his ninth <laughs> beer. But now we are here. Third, fourth. (laughs) Now we're here to give you the cast updates, which all of our Euphorians love to hear. Okay, the best one of the day today was season two Euphoria is possibly beginning to film season two Mm -hmm. at the end of March, and this Mm -hmm. is according to IndieWire, which Alex said is very reliable. Yeah, And and that filming date puts us at. New Euphoria season two episodes coming out in 2021. Which is very optimistic. We both know that. No, I think it's going to happen. I think the question is, does that mean it's going to be like August or does that mean it's going to be like December? No, it will never be August. I think for sure we're getting new Euphoria you know season two in 2021. But I'm like, is does that mean August or does that mean December? I'll say right now, and I hope I, I, hope I get this right. I think it'll be in November because that's my birthday month November. and I'm a Scorpio. All right, we'll see. I feel the energy. I feel like Sam Levinson knows this is my yeah for sure we'll put the chips on november okay november we got the bet in you heard it here first yep euphoria season two releasing in november all of season two drops november 21st pages v day perfect okay can't wait second up in cast updates so we already kind of talked about this earlier but hunter schaefer was on jimmy fallon she was obviously talking about her experience writing for this episode that we Mm -hmm. just recapped but also alex and i were cracking up because a, like, she's just fucking amazing, but also, like, her story of her quarantine experience and raiding mental hospitals on Yelp was, mm-hmm. like, cracking me up because she laughed, too. Like, it wasn't like she was, like, acting like it was normal. Like, she kind of said, like, I was in a bad place, which I don't know what your take on that was. I feel like maybe she was just normal quarantine level, like, not feeling it. And also... In her position, like, not having any room for creativity, I'm sure she was, like, going a little bit stir-crazy. I mean, I think if you're thinking about checking yourself into a mental hospital, it's probably a little more serious than that, but... But she was laughing about it on Jimmy Fallon. Really? You think it was more serious? <laughs> yeah. You don't... I don't think you actually seriously, like, look up a mental hospital yeah. and check, like, ratings and stuff and think about oh. actually checking yourself in unless it's, like, pretty legitimately serious. Which makes me really sad, because I feel like... But it highlights, like, what a dystopian, like, absurdist, like, reality we live in where you're like, let me check the, like, Google ratings for the fucking mental hospital. <laughs> and Yelp like, reviews. Like, yes, of course they won't be good. But also, like, you're trying to literally tell, like, should I put my lives, my life, like, in the hands of, like, these people? Like, but also, you said, also, I love that there's always sirens in the background. Welcome to are. New York. Um, 
I also love that early in, in this episode, you mentioned that Jimmy Fallon was kind of like deadbeat. I feel like because he's just one of those people that's not used to hearing real life like matters because celebrities come mm. on and just bullshit. He's a very everything's all good. Like, everything's it's cool. Like, type interviewer. Yeah. Him and Hunter were very mismatched. Yeah, but she but she handled it so well. She was great. It's yeah, not her she fault. was great. And I, to to give him a little bit of credit, he wasn't like rude or anything. He didn't but he even was ask just... what type of truck she had. She asked him what type of truck he had. He didn't even ask in return. I want to know what type of truck Hunter's driving around LA True. being a bro in. True. Like she doesn't she doesn't even give us the tea. And I also low key, But it's his fault. He should ask. I know, but I low-key loved her explanation of why she wanted to do that. Like her being like ulta femme and like driving like a fucking yeah, like boyish truck. That's so great. I love that. She I also stole my witch her. fingers. She what? She stole my witch fingers. What do you mean by that, Alex? I mean that for years I've been wearing around those fucking silly rubber witch fingers on all of my hands at those all of my glow jobs. glow in the dark party city all the time. witch fingers. Yeah, I bring them in my jaws and I wear them around because they're fucking funny to have. And I wore them for our Halloween episode, like, which can be fe- I don't know, almost a be, year ago. Which can be viewed on YouTube. We'll, yeah. we'll pin it later. <laughs> and she comes out here on this interview, like, with them spray-painted gold. Like, she's the first person to ever recognize how know... fucking cool rubber witch fingers from Party City are. Like, okay, but those... no shade. I appreciate it. Good but those her, weren't but... witch fingers from Party City. They were actually a very cool designer, which Alex did a little bit of no, research No, but they were on. really the witch fingers from Party City. They were just painted gold and Alex... like, done up fancy. But they really were those same witch fingers. Okay, well, her stylist is now La Roach, I would assume, because that's who styles Zendaya, and that's mm-hmm. who styled this mm-hmm. look on Jimmy Fallon. Mm-hmm. The designer was, I can't even, what was it? Sch- well, the designer of her dress was uh, Schiaparelli. And the fingers, I think. I think the fingers were just gold spray-painted witch fingers. I don't know if Schiaparelli oh. did those or not. But, I think they uh, might have, but anyways, continue. Anything you know? Any fun facts about the designer? I mean, here's the deal. Um, Scaparelli was a leading, like, pre-war, early, like, 20th century designer, was in constant competition with Coco Chanel, and was generally considered the front runner, beating out Chanel. Like, wow, a top, really? Was the, the top tier. Um, Damn. Okay. Did a lot of collaborations with Salvador Dali and Jean Cocteau. And then didn't really, like, survive post-war and died out in the 50s um, while Chanel, like, obviously boomed. Um, but Scaparelli was revived in 2013 and is now, like, again, like, a respectable, like, haute couture, like, you know, <laughs> like... Which I love for Hunter fancy because... Fancy fashion house. Um, and has been putting out, like, super solid work since then. But Hunter's fashion is just a 10 and above all the time. Right. And in very Hunter fashion, like, when Schiaparelli was at their, like, peak in, like, 30s, like, pre-post, pre-World War II, they were noted for being, like, very, like, mad, very, like, experimental, like, wild. Like, they were working with surrealist artists, like, doing, like, these very, like, experimental things with, like, different fabrics, different pleatings, like... They were working with, like, plastics very early on before anyone was into that. And, like, sometimes the plastics would, like, melt at the, like, dry cleaners and, like, stuff like Damn, that. Really? You know, so, That's like, cool. Yeah. So they were super cool and, like, very out there, which matches, like, you Yeah, know, which Hunter shows Schaefer that Hunter vibe, and her stylist, sure. La Roach, definitely collaborated and, like, came out with a great product. Yeah, absolutely. So her interview was really fun. And then she also did an interview with Netta Poitier. Netta Poitier? An Italian online fashion retailer. 
And it was really fun because we learned that, like, her, a lot of her main inspo as, like, a child growing into, like, adulthood was Raven from Teen Titans, which I don't mm-hmm. watch. Did you watch mm-hmm. Teen Titans growing up? I did. I've also read the comics. Oh, um, wow, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I mean, me? Raven is a, like, classic, like, goth icon. Raven was hot. She was, like, a, a real, like... A real cartoon goth, like, really? GF, like, queen, yeah. Damn, I gotta watch. Raven's fine. I mean, I'm in the hunt. Typically, so in the, sure I mean, in the I cartoon, she doesn't really ever change outfits. In the comics, I think she does a little more. But, like, generally, she doesn't change her outfit a totally. lot. But, like, whatever, she still looks great. And we already dabbled on it, but, like, in her interview, she talked about a lot of her first... They asked, like, what were your first albums and, like, your reactions. She talked about Enya, which... Which is sad. I think a lot of our Euphorians, maybe not, because a lot of our age demographic, at least on Instagram, is older. But, like, you know, Alex and I are, <clears throat> we don't like to admit, but we're, like, 30. <laughs> and when we were Whoa. kids, Enya was, like, fucking huge. Enya was, like, <laughs> no, but Enya was huge. You True. go on Nickelodeon late at night, and there'd be Enya commercials. Like, mm-hmm. your mom put Enya on the CD player yeah. every night at dinner. Well, it was, like, a, it was the age of, like, new age. Yes. You know? And, it, and honestly, I will say this. I didn't. I liked it. <laughs> we grew up in the time of the but as new a kid, age did you like it? Did you like it? Admit it. No, I didn't. You didn't? Oh, no. I loved it. Like, I was only never time? You didn't guy. like only time? That not a new a age bop. guy. I mean, that song obviously slaps in retrospect. I was not a new age guy. I probably like new age music now 10 times more than I did back then. Right. I didn't give a shit about that when I was 10 years old. But now I like it. Yeah, for sure. It's great. I'm using my Heineken. It's great now. New age. I think the best thing about new age is that it like has filtered into vaporwave. And new age like has had a strong influence on current vaporwave music yeah. which is really solid because vaporwave's kind of twisted like what was best about new age and made it great while eschewing <laughs> like the like bullshit of new age music because there's a lot of bullshit associated with new age like fucking yeah. crystals and bark and what like was the rituals other song that she shit. did not only time there was another one that was like the lord of the rings song uh, well there's a lot of lord of the rings ones she does a couple for them but there was yeah, another true. one that was like i'll think of it later but it was so fucking funny so in other news, Zendaya, obviously starring in Malcolm and Marie, which we're both very excited for. There's been a lot of hype around this. Very. But it premieres on Netflix February 5th, I believe, which we will absolutely be recapping and podcasting about it because what the fuck else will we podcast about until we have any more <laughs> Euphoria content? But on on the news end of this, um, it's already on theaters, which what the fuck? Who is going to... The movie theater. I think it's out the 29th of January. But I'm laughing because I'm like, do you know of any states right now that are letting people go to the movie theater? Please don't go. Please don't go to the movie theater. I mean, I guess, okay, here's the thing. If you go to a movie theater, even if you're socially distanced, you're indoors. You're breathing the same air. Just please don't. Bad idea. Please don't. But anyways, it it looks amazing. Um, I noticed today that Spike Lee reposted. Oh. And pretty much said, like, go watch this and alex and i obviously i think we talked about this i don't think we did alex thinks we did but i don't know if we did i think we mentioned this prior but we were very lucky and on the election day we were out partying in brooklyn and a large group that we were with all re uh regrouped at spike lee's studio in brooklyn and he was there 
you know. He uh, ordered pizza for everybody. He was like popping. He champagne. was popping champagne. He gave a little speech. He ordered pizza for everyone. It was very cool. It we was were just very celebrating. Fun. Biden's there were some win. celebs there, but it was just a real like big street party. It was a great time, and like Spike Lee's an incredible filmmaker. Obviously, not only was it, it was a great time, I would say actually for me and you, it was a. It's a time I'll never forget. I mean, that's iconic. Absolutely. I mean, that's a that's a big moment. It's iconic <laughs> that after fucking years of having to deal with the orange fucking disgusting piece of shit Trump, we got to like celebrate with Spike Lee over Biden's right. Win. Who's like notably like a badass, like yeah. very so outspoken, fun. doesn't give a fuck. Like, oh, it was it was memorable as shit. Remember we listened to like their speech, like Kamala Harris's speech. I mean, oh yeah, it was great. It was great. So well, anyways. That's just all we had to say. So shout out Spike Lee. If Spike Lee thinks it's fucking good, then that means we gotta watch that shit. Just a little brag about the time we partied at Spike's house. Yeah, the time we were at Spike Lee's. It was no big deal. We were just at Spike's (laughs) studio the other night. I mean, it was fun. He was dope. But another okay, shout out uh, Sharonda Williams, which Alex doesn't know, but I do. I do a lot of research. She has a YouTube channel called Pay or Wait, and she interviews a lot of just, like, really cool shows, movies. She interviews Zendaya and John David Washington um, for Malcolm and Marie. And she's also DM'd us on Instagram saying she'll listen to our podcast. She's Whoa. super, super cool. So shout out Pay or Wait. But definitely check out. Definitely shout out. Check out Sharonda Williams. Her channel's Pay or Wait on YouTube. She did an interview directly with Zendaya and John David Washington for Malcolm and Marie. Mm. Um, I don't believe it's released yet, but when it is, you should go check it out. She's dope as fuck, and she's DM'd us, and I love her. Okay. Next on news. You're keeping um, these filmmaker DMs from me. I know. Sorry. Let Alex me hit up not... my, my, my directors. <laughs> Damn. So next on the, the news, um, this is kind of funny, but right before we filmed this episode, Zendaya <laughs> went on a little trip to Target before the episode aired. She was showing screenshots of her on her Instagram. She was buying the Tenet DVD, which a lot of our friends have been dying to see in theaters. Do you know anything about Tenet, which of John course. David Washington's in? Of course. I mean, it's Christopher Nolan. It's got Robert Pattinson. It's I like about how you know this. Travel. I don't know anything. It was supposed to be. It's. A, it like I mean, a... it's a massive failure. It was supposed to be the movie that brought everyone back to theaters because everyone was going to be so odd they couldn't Darn. resist seeing Christopher Nolan's new big blockbuster in theaters. But it was it's a like fucking Inception stupid Part plan two, right? because, like, who <laughs> fucking is going to risk their life to go see fucking Tenet in theaters? But yeah, Darn. I mean, it's like a little bit of like an. Inception. Is it going to stream anywhere, or do you not know? Is it only I theaters? Know. I mean, I'm sure it's like probably a pretty good movie, but like you know, I'm not going to risk my life to go sit in a theater and fucking watch no, Tenet. No, like, no, 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 no. But it's on DVD already, so we technically yeah. Zendaya showed us that we could just go to Target and buy it. So let's right. go do it. It's probably a decent movie. We're bored as shit. We might as well. Now the only last news we have isn't that exciting, and actually, Alex and I have high criticism for, which Oof. is. Sydney Sweeney starred in Machine Gun <laughs> Kelly's. I don't even know. I'm not going to call it a movie. What's it called again? It's an hour long, but I'm not going to call it a movie. But it's Downfalls High. Downfalls High. It's described as a musical that's a pop punk version of Grease. Now, before Alex goes into his heavy criticism, I will say. As someone who's usually erring on the side of, like, supporting our Euphoria cast, I would have to say this is Sydney Sweeney's biggest failure. 
Um, this is embarrassing. To call anything a pop punk version of Greece, to compare anything to Greece, is offensive to me as someone who's a little older. I'm 30, which I feel very old saying that. But like, Greece is iconic. So to compare any work of art to Greece for me, you better be fucking on it and like really have a lot to bring to the table. This had absolutely nothing to bring to the table. And on top of it, one of the main stars on it was Lil Huddy, who was a TikTok star. So not even like an, an A-plus actor. Like, Sydney Sweeney, I would say, is up there in the A's. She's done a, a lot of... Would you not... Before you go into your criticism, would you not say Sydney Sweeney has been like... She's on that road to being an A actor. She's worked with like some of this the best a, actors in the world. Yeah. No, but... Right? Yeah. Yeah. So this was a huge downgrade. Downgrade. Yeah. I mean, it kind of, I think for me, it really signals like how different artists think about their careers and um, no judgment, but there's people like Zendaya and Hunter that think about their careers in very like specific, very intentional terms. And then I think there's people like Sydney Sweeney and like, no offense, but like they're a little more open to like different opportunities and to like get that money and like good and for her. Yeah. But like, oh my lord, this is about the cringiest product you can imagine. Look, like fucking pop punk was the biggest fucking cringe. We lived through pop punk one and it was cringy and horrible and I don't even know what that is. What, describe what's pop punk like I mean Blink pop punk one was fucking some forty one and yeah, blank one eighty two okay. okay. and I'm all American sure rejects. We lived through it at Got its it. peak and it was fucking awful. Ocean and now Avenue we're being, by yellow card now is we're that being pop punk? fucking yes. And okay. now we're being fucking subjected to pop punk two, the remix, twenty years later. <laughs> and it's even worse than pop punk one, which was already like unbearable and it's like no one needs this but question question for you no one wants this me being totally open-minded like completely putting myself out there and i don't Mm. want to but i'm doing it against my will do you think that we're just like older now and that stuff isn't as appealing because okay because yellow card ocean avenue look it up like that's not a good song that's really bad it's It's cringy as shit but like we we meaning I Paige Blazer really loved that though growing up and like thought I resonated with it and really enjoyed it do you think kids watching Down Falls High feel that same connection do you think they actually like Uh, it or do you think they like little hotties in it and Sydney Sweeney I think about it like this there's like these like subgenres of music and there's the good ones and the bad ones I think I will die on this fucking hill. There are only like five good pop punk songs and everything else ever made under the banner of pop punk is absolutely like disposable garbage. Okay. Um, and I respect so, that, but I was I was just trying to, to be open minded and ask. Is there a what need for pop punk too? And will anything good that comes out of pop punk too pop, pop punk, punk too? What the Wait, fuck? So that will was... there be anything good that Peter comes Piper out of pop punk too? Fuck no! I don't think there will be anything good Wait, that, that comes over out and over of again. Say that pop five times. Punk two. What pop punk two? Pop, pop, pop punk, punk two. two. Fuck Peter Piper god. picked his pimple peppers. Already say a horrible fucking. That. Oh god, I can't. Peter Piper picked his pimple peppers. Peter Piper picked his pickled peppers. Oh my god, well, you did that actually really well. Pop punk two. While fucking Machine Gun Kelly. While listening to fucking <laughs> Machine Gun Kelly pretend that he's Little Pete. Um. <laughs> Honestly, it's fucking trash. Like, Pop Punk 1 was so bad. Now they're trying to bring it back. It's like a weird TikTok thing. Scene 
emo pop punk are kind of coming back but it's awful it was awful in its first incarnation and it doesn't have lasting power like a lot of other subgenres because it was fucking trash the first round yeah um this is all i'll say though but ultimately like jesus this album or whatever you fucking want to call it i listened to about 10 minutes of it it is machine gun kelly just had like a hard-on for a little peep and listened to like I don't know. He. It sounds like he listened to Lil Peep for like a month and straight and was like, I'm going to be the new Lil Peep. And then he just abandoned all of his like shitty like rap, like, like white rapper like shit and was like, now I'm pop punk. But Lil Alex, let's not forget, Travis Barker also sponsored this video and was on the... Travis Barker's been doing embarrassing shit for like 10 Has years really? at least. Yeah. Okay. Then never mind. All I'll say is, Sydney Sweeney's hot as fuck no matter what she does. Like, she is. Like, physically, she's just one of the hottest females <laughs> to exist on the planet. I don't care. I don't laugh. Ha, ha, ha. She is. Everybody knows it. She's beautiful. She's beautiful. Like, she's she's hot, but she's also beautiful because she's not, like, your classic basic bitch. She's very complex, and that's why Alex and I are critical. This is a fuck up. But that's why I'm saying we're critical because... We are such Sydney Sweeney stands, and to see her go from sharp objects, once upon a time in Hollywood, uh, Handmaid's Tale, Euphoria, and then fucking downfalls high. Talk about a downfall taking on this fucking mm. job. This is a serious lack bad, of bad, concern bad. for your like trajectory and your like career ouvoir. Like it's just it's a bad step. And you also, know what? You know while what we're at it, let's point out that Machine Gun Kelly's real name is uh, Colson Baker, and Coulson? he's Colson Baker I thought from it was Coleman. Oh, Coleman? No, it's Colson. <laughs> it's Colson Baker, and Are you he is sure? from Denver, Colorado. Is it actually so, Colson? I thought it was yes, Coleman. Absolutely. Okay, so that's a embarrassing. Just while we're at it, a embarrassing. B. Yeah, Colson Baker. Name. So from Colson, Colson, Colson Baker from Denver, like a, Colorado. It reminds me of a colon, like a colonoscopy. Colson. A real fucking bad over here. <laughs> Who's been like a trashy white rapper feuding with Eminem for his entire career, and then in the last what do you like, mean trashing Eminem? How what? How do you trash Eminem? No offense. No, I said he's been a trashy rapper feuding with Eminem. Why is he feuding though? Because I don't know. They keep having fights. I don't fucking care. Who cares? They just are always in the news. It's always like Machine Eminem's Gun Kelly like and Eminem what have a fight. Care about Machine Gun I don't Kelly? fucking. I don't know. I don't care enough Why is to his look name into Machine it. Machine Gun. Because he. Apparently, it's because he delivered his lines so fast. People were like, oh, he's like a machine. Oh, that is so fucking stupid. Okay, uh, well, all I will say is, in Alex's defense, normally Alex is very critical. I'm a little more lighthearted. Am I right? We all know the C4ians. But I gave it a shot. I put on Downfalls High on our screen. We had drinks. We were, like, ready to give it. I, I was, not Alex. I was ready to have an open mind and to, you know, give it a shot. The first scene that we fast forwarded to was Sydney Sweeney sitting on the bleachers with a bunch of girls with an open diary with a knife and they were playing spin the knife, not spin the bottle, mm-hmm. spin the knife. And it spins and it points towards little Huddy and she goes, I think you're kind of cute. And he goes, I'm thinking about things. I mean, 
just horrible like, dumb, dumb dialogue. She's like, what are you doing? just sitting here, like, thinking about things. He's, like, just sitting here thinking it's about unbearable. things. It's unbearable. They try to make him, like, some kind of, like, weird emo, like... No, he's just bullied, a popular like, TikToker. They make him, like, he's, like, bullied. Like, some bullied, like, emo boy. And it's, like, he looks exactly the same as the people that are supposed to be bullying him. They all just look like a bunch of fucking tools. Yeah. And none of them are, look like anything like what, like actual like bullied emo kids looked like back then but like you not said, that they were cool or admirable but, but like, like they said, don't even look like they used to but like you said sydney sweeney's just hustling i can respect that little huddy also if anything i'll say this i respect little huddy more right because little huddy is just a tiktoker he gets the opportunity to be in a machine gun kelly who apparently is a big artist who i've never given a shit about <laughs> but that's a platform you am i Colson right Colson baker colson baker going from tiktok to getting a hit on colson baker's video is like that's a big up like that's that's like sydney swinney getting the part in handmaid's tale like that's his first big so i will say this little huddy like i actually think he's adorable alex i don't want to hear your opinion because it's gonna be really awful i think he's really cute I don't think he's that problematic. He's just kind of like a cute kid that got lucky and he's like doing his thing. Sydney Sweeney, she's a fucking queen. She needs to do better. That's all I'll say. She's, all I have to say Actually, is no, that... she needs to do better. She just should have said no to that project. She's already like above and beyond Sydney what Sweeney she did. is clearly disregarding her career. But does that make sense? But that's not that's like a fine. loss in her career. That's more just like she did a favor. That was like a favor Look, she did for a friend. Her career is going to thrive and she's going to make buttloads of money no matter what. But yeah. if you're the type of person that cares about like what your career and your resume look like after the fact, like she clearly doesn't give a shit and that's fine. Oh no, I would ar- I would argue that she does, but I think she did a favor for a friend. Uh, she's really close to uh, Pete uh. Davidson because she was in his movie. I think Pete Davidson and Michigan and Kelly are like BFFs. I think he said, oh, Sydney, like, you're hot. You should be in this. And then they were like, oh, that'd be fun. And Sydney did it. It's embarrassing. I'm going to defend Sydney to my grave because she's my girl crush and I love her. So Allison, say whatever. But I do think, but I will be honest. I will never deny it. If she were on the show today, I'd say that was your biggest fucking, (laughs) quote unquote, downfall. Mm. That was your biggest downfall. And there it is. And there it is. And that's the cap. That's all the, the tea that we have. All, all I will say is this special episode was just beyond incredible. It was just so good. You might hear Meatballs purring over the mic because he's literally laying on the table in our laptop. <laughs> he is such an oaf. I will literally send our Euphorians a photo of what we're dealing with right now. But he's so sweet. Euphoria is just thriving. I hope to fucking Jesus God the Holy Ghost that we get season two at the end of March and they start filming. In the meantime, Euphorians, we just have to hustle. You just have to help us get some people on this podcast so that we can start interviewing and getting some new hot tips. But you know what? What a great night. I will say the best of 2021 is that Trump's out of office and that we got a Euphoria special episode, part two, Jules. Mm. What would you say, Alex? Would you agree? Indeed. Agree. I'll cheers to that, Euphorians. Agree. Trump's out of office and we got Jules, part two. And it was fucking incredible. Shout out Hunter Schaefer as a writer and producer of this episode. I think it was fucking incredible. Yep. Fuck Machine Gun Kelly for ripping off Lil Peep that too but really quick i actually thought something before we cheers this is a hard question and you don't have to answer or you can and be controversial 
Do you like special episode one or two? Go. I like two. two. We both like two. All two. right. Cheers to that. We both picked two. All right. That's how you fork. That's how you fork. Like today's episode? Great. We love that for you. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. Leave us a podcast review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever the fuck you listen to us weekly. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at so underscore euphoric for all the euphoria updates you could ever possibly want in your life. Thanks for tuning in. Peace out, bitches.